Well, in our form of democracy, we have a branch of government known as the House of Representatives. And by design, these elected officials are intended to represent the people within a specific district. And they must live in the district of the people they represent, having been elected from the people for the people. And these representatives are the ones who introduce bills and and legislation that best help support those that they represent. Now, as you might expect, it's an imperfect system uh, that's filled with plenty of flaws. But these elected officials have a job to do. But it's imperfect because they often have a bias towards those who help them get elected. They are influenced by those special interest groups that continually knock on their door. They even have their own personal bias that inevitably influences their decisions. And in the end, this this ideal system is rarely achieved. But that's because this particular form of government is not necessarily flawed in and of itself. The problem is the people in that or any form of government are the ones who are ultimately flawed. It's imperfect people. And therefore, it cannot be a perfect system. We, we see the same thing in religious systems as well. In Judaism, the, the high priest, as we've been looking at over the last several weeks, was ordained by God to represent the people. But as we've learned, they were just as imperfect as the people they represented. And and like government systems, the the Jewish religious system could become corrupt as well. And, And again, not because the system was flawed. It was because of the people in the system who were ultimately flawed. Knowing this, the writer of Hebrews points to Jesus as the perfect high priest, the one appointed by God and and the only one who is without any flaws. We learn that he was tempted in all things, yet without sin. He shared in our weaknesses. He shared in our suffering. He even, even shared, as we will see clearly this morning, in our dependence upon God. And so since this is true, he is merciful and he's gracious to those who struggle. He's eager to help those who are in need. And and as we learned last week, we can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. It's interesting, if you look at the book of Job, Job in one of his prayers cries out for someone like this. He says in Job chapter 9 verse 32, God is not a mortal like me so I can argue with him or or, or take him to trial. If, if, If only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together. Well, that's exactly why Jesus came. Jesus is the answer to Job's prayer. And he came so that 
the relationship, the the life-giving relationship that you and I were created for could be restored and we would be brought back together again with our creator. That's what we'll look at together this morning. And as we pray, I want to ask you to do a a couple of things. As I I told you, I feel a little bit like an itinerant preacher. My mind is kind of scattered because I'm in lots of different places. So let's do this. As we take some time to pray, I would ask that you take some time to pray for me. The Lord would settle my heart and my mind, and I could be fully present with you now. But also pray for yourself, because I would assume I'm not the only one that feels a little scattered and stretched. So ask the Lord to settle your heart, to settle your mind, and to focus in on him. And if you would, pray also for those around you, and even for those who are listening online who are not here with us. Physically, would you just ask that the Lord would meet them where they are? Let's take a moment of time to pray for those things. Father, thank you for this church family place where I can come home, settle in with the people I love and people I know who sincerely love me and my family. Thank you for the privilege that we can come together. We think about those like people who are in Ukraine right now who are disassociated from from the people they love, some permanently, physically in a place that's not their home. Lord, we ask that you comfort them, that you be present with them in this moment. We pray for all of our hearts and minds that are easily distracted and scattered in a lot of different directions. Not always bad things, good things that attract our minds and deserve our attention. But Lord, for this few moments that we're together, would you allow our focus to be intently upon you? that our ears would be open to your word and that it would sink deeply into our heart and it would transform our lives. Lord, what we're asking for is a miracle. But we're also asking for what you promised. And so we are trusting this morning that that's the good work that you will do. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. As you would, uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 5. And let's pick up where we left off last. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. would love for you to, to read along with me as I begin reading in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. Where it says, Every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. and Because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people, so as for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself. He receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So what the writer's doing here is he's beginning our time by introducing to us the Jewish high priest. 
as, as a representative of Israel, he was chosen from the people for the people. Now, it's important that he was chosen from the people for the people because you might look at that and say, well, well why, why wouldn't God choose like, like an angel, a supernatural being? And the reason is, is because they are a completely different created being. As we learned, those that do not inherit salvation. And therefore, they cannot represent those who do. A true representative, and don't miss this because we'll see this all throughout our passage, a true representative must live with and be able to relate to those whom they serve. Live with and relate to those whom they serve. So the Jewish high priest was, was appointed on behalf of, of men, as it says in our passage, in things pertaining to God. Because according to God's design, not, not everyone could just walk up and offer a sacrifice for themselves. Instead, God ordained a system that was intended to protect the purity of that sacrifice by being mediated by a priest, a, a representative between God and man. He was divinely ordained. As we see in our passage, he, he offered gifts, which were usually meal offerings that were a sign of devotion from the people who gave them. But he also acted uh, or, or offered sacrifices. And those sacrifices were, were blood offerings for the atonement of sin, but only symbolically. Because as we learned last week in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it is impossible for the blood and bulls and goats to take away sin. Instead, we, we learn that those sacrifices were a covering of protection for those who had a repentant heart before a holy God. Until that day when God's promised provision would come. We see that in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, where Paul writes and he says, God displayed, speaking of Jesus, publicly as a propitiation, an atonement, a sacrifice for sins in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in forbearance God, of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. In other words, God withheld his judgment against their sin until the day that that judgment could be placed upon Jesus Christ on the cross. That, that sacrificial system was a picture of God's future provision. It was a protection, a covering for those with a truly repentant heart. And by this, the, the, the priest had solidarity. He was from the people, for the people. But he also had sympathy. It says that he could deal gently with the people because he shared in their same weakness. In fact, he, as we learn, had to offer sins for himself or sacrifice for sin for himself before he could act, uh, offer a sacrifice for the sins of other people. So the high priest had to be someone with some level of humility to serve in that role. 
especially since he was dealing with people that were ignorant and misguided, as we see in verse 2, which is not a very flattering description, is it? (laughs) Bad news here, it's describing us. Because those who are ignorant have limited understanding, which is true for every person in this room, especially when it comes to spiritual truth. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 2 verse 14 but a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him here it is and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised and so in our humanity we are ignorant but we are also misguided and what immediately comes to mind for me when I when I hear that word is the the words of the hymn that said prone to wonder Lord I feel it Prone to leave the God I love. That resonates because it's true for all of us. It's true in our heart. It was true in the heart of the high priest because he was a person just like you and I. Which is why the the position of high priest was not one that was earned. Why it says in verse 4, no one takes the honor to himself. Just like Aaron, the very first high priest, he was ordained. He was appointed by God. The priest was important, but it was an imperfect system. A system that was never intended to be permanent. So also Christ, ending in verse 5. Look at that with me. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest But he who said to him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So now the author is shifting from the imperfect to the perfect. From the Jewish high priest to the heavenly high priest. But this shift, we need to understand this, doesn't occur because Jesus is observing humanity from heaven and he's just shaking his head thinking, can they not get anything right? (laughs) He's not saying to to himself, boy, if if I want to do anything, I guess I'm going to go down and have to do it myself. That's not what's happening here at all. In fact, we learn in our passage, just like the Jewish high priest, Jesus was appointed as well. He he did not glorify himself, but he was commissioned by God to fulfill a divine purpose. The author quotes from, from Psalm 2 when he says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Speaking of, of God's word to Jesus, and that, that word begotten literally means one who is appointed, set apart for a purpose. And this is important to remember as well because this was a quotation that we looked at back in chapter 1. And you remember when we saw this quotation from Psalm 2, we we saw that it was a royal psalm. It was a psalm that was describing the reign of the Lord's anointed, the one to whom God would give the nations as an inheritance and the ends of the earth as His possession. So Jesus is not only the perfect high priest, we also see that he is the king of all kings. Which is why the the writer of Hebrews goes on and quotes from Psalm 110. 
when he says, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Because Melchizedek is the only figure in Scripture who also had both the office of priest and of king. Now, we'll only touch on this here because Melchizedek becomes a a big focus when we get to chapter 7. But suffice it to say, that Melchizedek is one of the most mysterious yet most important figures in all of Scripture. It it takes us back to when when God called Abraham from Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, if you remember from our study of Daniel, the Chaldeans were in the region of Babylon, right? Well, that's where Abraham came from. And God called him out of that pagan city to the land of Canaan, which was filled with pagan worship. And you get the idea as you look at the story of Abraham that it was only him and his family who ever worshipped the one true God. Because that was foreign to everything else happening around them until we're introduced to Melchizedek. We see that in Genesis chapter 14 verse 18. It says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. Did you get that? He, he, he was a priest and he was a king of God most high, king of Salem, which we will later come to know as Jerusalem, Jerusalem. So Jesus is not a high priest in the lineage of Aaron like all the other high priests. He is I a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And and he is a king in the lineage of David, the one that God had promised to give a kingdom that will endure forever. And, And his priesthood is not temporary either because the passage tells us that he is a priest forever. So what we're seeing here is that the perfect is replacing the imperfect, the eternal is coming to replace the temporary. Look at how it continues in verse 7. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears, which makes me feel really good, (laughs) to the one who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So so Jesus is our high priest, but only because he shares in our humanity. Remember, a true representative of humanity must live with and relate to those whom they serve. So when the author says, in the days of his flesh, he's talking about what Philippians refers to when it says that he emptied himself. Taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, living with and relating to those whom he came to serve. In his humanity, Jesus experienced temptation. He experienced suffering. 
And for that reason, he offered up prayers and supplications with, with loud crying and tears to the one who could save him from death. And when you hear that description of loud crying, of tears, to the one who could save him from death, what comes to mind? I think for many of us, probably the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that? When Jesus prayed, that, that agonizing prayer that anticipated the wrath that he would soon endure for our sins, so much so that it says that he sweat drops of blood, crying out to God. But I want to suggest to you this morning that that is not the only time that Jesus offered deep, emotional, heartfelt prayers to God. In fact, I want to suggest to you it was a part of his everyday life. Because his prayer life, just like ours, don't miss this, his prayer life, just like ours, was a posture of dependence. Jesus prayed because in his humanity, we don't think about this, okay? But let this settle in. Jesus prayed because in his humanity, he needed God's help. He needed God's strength. He needed God's guidance. Jesus prayed in an effort to align his will to the will of the Father. Just go back to that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did he say at the end? But not my will, Father, but your will be done. Jesus certainly prayed for others. That, that absolutely was true. You can go to John 17 and see one of those prayers. In fact, what is it commonly called? It's called the, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. That when he prayed for his disciples, he, he prayed for future disciples. He was praying for you and I. So, so he prayed for others, but he also prayed for himself. In a moment-by-moment moment surrender of his life to the will of God to fulfill God's purpose in the world from, for which he had been sent. It says Jesus was heard because of his piety, which describes a heart of humble surrender, a daily surrender that was a part of his true humanity. Verse 8 even says that he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. So, so here's the reality. Surrender requires sacrifice. Surrender requires sacrifice, and sacrifice always includes suffering, doesn't it? Jesus learned obedience through his suffering. Every trial he faced was an opportunity to trust both for him and for us. The Garden of Gethsemane being the ultimate Test of trust. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. In prayer, Jesus sought the will of his Father. In obedience, Jesus submitted to the will of his Father. Philippians 2.8 says he humbled himself by, coming, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Being made perfect, he became to all those who obey the source of eternal life. 
And we need to understand here that this idea of being made perfect is not in any way suggesting that somehow Jesus evolved from a place of imperfection to a place of perfection. Jesus was perfect, and his obedience revealed his perfection. But in his humanity, every decision in every trial was a willful submission to God's ordained plan, and it was a decision of trust in him. Jesus fulfilled what James promised when he says in James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. See, the perfection of Jesus is what allowed him to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The perfect took the place of the imperfect so the temporal can understand what it means to have eternal life. He is the source of eternal salvation in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is our faithful high priest, and he is the king of all kings. And so as we hear those words, I want us to take great comfort in these truths. I want us to take comfort in the fact that we have a representative who is not coerced by his constituents. We have a representative who does not discriminate. We have a representative who has no personal bias, which is why we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. It's why we can be honest and vulnerable, knowing that we are going before the one who is faithful and true. In his perfection, he has no limited capacity. We see in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, that he will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding No one can fathom. He was always eager. He is always available. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we will receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. So just like Jesus, we can depend on God daily. Aligning our will to the will of God, recognizing every trial as an opportunity to trust. Because just like Jesus, our surrender requires suffering. Obedience is the path of submitting our will to God's will. And this is not an easy thing to do. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 tells us that we got to die to ourselves. It says, I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So just like Jesus, in prayer, we seek to know the will of God our Father. And in obedience, we submit, we surrender 
to live out that will in our daily lives. And it's not an easy road. But we can endure because our hope is secure. We have a perfect high priest who offered a perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins for now and for all eternity. He is the source of eternal salvation. He and he alone. Job said, God is not a mortal like us, so we cannot argue with him and take him to trial. If, if only there was a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together, and there is. That's the good news. His name is Jesus. He is the perfect high priest who came to bring us together with the one who gives eternal life. For those who have a true and humble, repentant heart before him. Restoring that life-giving relationship that you and I were ultimately created for. It is a gift of grace. And I pray this morning that you will hear that invitation. And you will surrender yourselves day after day to the one who is worthy of our praise, the source of eternal salvation. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the powerful truth of your word, the promise of Jesus as our perfect high priest, the, the one who understands the depths of our humanity having been tempted in all things without, yet without sin, the one who day by day faced trials learning obedience through his suffering as he submitted his will to the will of, of the Father who sent him to carry out a divine purpose in the world. And Lord, we understand that we are just like him in that same way. We want to come to you day by day knowing that every trial is an opportunity to trust, that every prayer is a posture of dependence, surrendering our will to the will of the Father because we too, have been set apart to carry out a divine purpose in the world. So Lord, protect us from distractions that would derail us from that which you have called us to. And may we faithfully fulfill it, whatever that sacrifice or suffering may be, to the praise and to the glory of your name. Our perfect high priest, our king of all kings. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand, let's sing together. Ooh, that's good news. Man, I love that. I have a confession to make. When we first, when I first determined that we would look at the book of Hebrews, I was incredibly intimidated. <laughs> because I would read passages and say to myself, I have no idea what that means. But week after week, I keep growing deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. Because that's what it is, isn't it? Week after week, it's just another beautiful facet of who he is. And it's incredible. And so I'm prayerful for you that week after week, you fall deeper in love with Jesus. You are drawn in close to him. You find that he is faithful and that he delights in you. That is my prayer.